All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 91, the Stephen Stamkos edition of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli. And Frank, hope you had a, a Merry Christmas and Santa Claus was good to you. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, give me your favorite gift. Uh, wow. My wife actually got me a new workout bench. I'm quite excited. Mine was over the dirt. So you so you're working on your lats? Your, your uh, well, you know, it's like a good push-up bench where you can do uh, you know, sit-up rows and squats better. So the, the <laughs> other one I had was a little too high. I didn't like it. So this one Man, that wasn't what I envisioned when I asked. Like I was like, I was not thinking physical exertion, but I guess that says a lot about me. Yeah. So yeah. What about you? Uh my brother got me a bottle of Blanton's whiskey, bourbon. Nice. single barrel bourbon um uh i love whiskey bourbon anything like that so right up my alley okay well that's good well yeah. mine was quite a surprise so i was uh that's why i was excited about it i mean i've been mean, nice. complaining about it and then i didn't even know she knew the right one to buy but i think she talked to my trainer buddy so that was good perfect nice um the uh, NHL, I, I saw your tweet already early this morning, uh, some more postponed games. Not a surprise. Uh, they postponed games yesterday. There'll be some more today, uh, tomorrow. I, I don't know if the NHL will really get back to normal until you know more teams are almost like the Calgary Flames where, where you have COVID go right through their team. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really the only silver lining is that as long as you – have tested positive. You don't have to test again at all for 90 days. So when you look at what these teams are going through, like the biggest, these numbers that popped up on Sunday were not unexpected. You know, players didn't test for four or five days. 
clearly when you come back, there's going to be a surge of positive tests just based on the way the world's going. And, you know, you mentioned that you don't think things are going to calm down. You know, for me, it's not until the rest of society and the numbers start going down because, you know, there's no restrictions on these players. And frankly, there shouldn't be in terms of how they, you know, live their life. So they finish at the rink, they go to dinner, they go wherever the movie theater, whatever they do, they have a chance to come in contact with this Omicron variant. And it's, it's everywhere. I mean, just look at the numbers, like crazy surge, um, you know, here in the U S especially over the last number of days. And, um, you know, I, I think when you look at what the NHL is trying to do, 44 new positive tests on Sunday, I'm told there are a number of other positives that are going to be coming out on Monday. Once they're officially confirmed as positive with the second test, um, it, you know, the numbers are going to keep climbing. We're still at 130, 140 players active in protocol right now. And that's with 50 or 60 dropping off over the holidays because they had finished their quarantine. So this isn't going anywhere, but the NHL has now put some rules into place. Some, you know, they've loosened some restrictions with the cap, with the roster requirements so that teams can continue to ice a full lineup and, and aren't going to be dealing with kooky situations where, you know, the Carolina hurricanes, for instance, can only dress 16 skaters because of cap limitations. I'm glad that they finally addressed that. Yeah, it was something that was definitely needed. There's no question about it. And, you know, I, I'm curious to see, you know, you have a, a few more games postponed. I, I I wonder what the NHL, like if they have a magic number, because it's funny, I've talked to many GMs and there doesn't seem to be like a, a set guideline. Okay, if you have this many players, you're unable to ice a team, your game will be postponed. There's none of that right now. It's almost like a, a team by team decision based on who has COVID on your team at that exact moment. But there's a lot that goes into it that people don't realize. You know, I see fans chirp on social media and it's fair to because the situation isn't transparent, but not that it's anyone's business anyway. You know, look at certain teams, you know, they have five roster spots to fill or six roster spots. But any of the players that they'd like to call up from the AHL uh, that are on NHL contracts those guys might also be positive in the AHL. So that's the part of the equation that not everyone is seeing the AHL's numbers aren't kept, um, you know, somewhere where they're easily accessible to understand exactly who has tested positive and who hasn't. That's the big, one of the big drivers in this is that they're just running out of bodies. You know, it's one thing to say, Hey, you can have this emergency exemption, but if you don't have the actual bodies to go fill the lineup, it doesn't really matter. So, you know, certain teams, you know, I guess my fear is that even if you have relaxed the rules as they did over the weekend, and some of it's temporary, this taxi squad that they reinstituted is only until the all-star break. I think what you're ultimately going to run into is a competitive balance issue. You know, are, is, are we putting the best product forward, uh, not just for a standings perspective, but also for a ticket perspective? Like, you know, it, if you're, especially if you're in a Canadian market, you're paying big bucks. You're one of 50% of the people that get to see the game in the building and you, you show up and you've got, 13 guys from the AHL in the lineup. Like that to me, isn't NHL hockey. And I, I get that the NBA has gone heavy down that path. You know, the Toronto Raptors the other day dressing four regulars. Yeah. I mean, it, it's difficult. And I guess, you know, with this situation, all hands on deck, you do anything you can to plow forward and keep going. But at what point, Jay, do you run into the problem where you're saying 
This isn't even NHL hockey. It's not even close to it. And we're charging people premium prices for it. Well, it's a valid question, man. As a season ticket holder myself, I can tell you uh, now I use it as a company, but still it's one where you want people to, to be able to go to a game where they feel like, you know, like in Edmonton, if they have McDavid and Drysaddle dressed, the fans might be like, okay, as long as that's good. But you, the minute those two guys aren't there potentially, or one of them, uh, you know, the rest of the lineup will look a lot different automatically. And there's going to be a lot of markets like that. So it is one. The Montreal Canadiens, I know right yeah. at this moment, are trying to figure out, you know, they were one of the teams that was, their facility was closed before the holiday break. Last I checked, and, and I believe they're supposed to be heading to Tampa, they, they had something like between seven and nine regulars that were available to go on their trip. You're talking yeah, about a 23 man roster. Like, how do you, how is that fair? How's that fair for the team that picks up the two points against that team in that moment that all of a sudden, you know, here's a, here's a free and clear two points. Yeah. Well, the competitive imbalance is, is you want to hold the integrity of the NHL. And that's something that they're going to have to monitor very closely because I think otherwise, I think right now fans would be more understanding of postponing games where there is a clear competitive imbalance rather than just grinding through and pushing through to these games just to get them done and over with. And I know that you had spoke earlier about how, you know, the draft is set and they've got all these dates. Well, guess what? If they have to, they they can move them. They did it before. It's not ideal. I understand all that. But I do think you're onto something, Frank, that the and I've talked to other GMs and that's the one word they talk about is integrity. You, you want to maintain an integrity standard that says this is still NHL hockey and it's still competitive balance. We know. On but it's completely nights- subjective. That's the problem. And that's the issue that most people take with it. It is that there's not some magic or set number there to say, hey, if you're missing this many guys, you're not going to play now. Well, but it sh- they should be like, think about for the preseason, right? You have to have eight veterans dressed minimum. Now, obviously in the NHL, I would hope it'd be way more. Let's say you've got to have from your opening night roster, at least 13 skaters. That, like that's just a number out of my head, maybe 14, but you could come up with this number, right? And make that fair to everybody and say, okay, it doesn't matter if it's a first line or a fourth line guy, because here's the truth. In the course of a regular season, sometimes your first line guys ask the Pittsburgh Penguins for, it seems, the last decade. Their first line guys are out all the time and they still find ways to play. But I yeah. do think you could come up with a number. I don't know what that number is. I just threw it out there. You know, whether it's 13, 14, I don't care. But I do think there's a number you could come up with that people could at least agree upon and say, okay, that's the number. Now we move forward. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think the other part of it is revenue, though, too. I think you could see a lot of games postponed in Canada specifically to have them, you know, try and make that game up later in March or April when hopefully, you know, again, not a scientist, but the way everything I read is everyone saying this is spreading so fast that this curve might be the the short the shortest one yes. in terms of duration that hopefully you can get through this at some point in January and reschedule those games that were to be played in Canadian markets in March and April not only is it warmer but also you know you've got this opportunity where you know maybe you could have 75% or 100% in the building it's you know it it may not sound like it much but each percentage another 500,000 million dollars a game that really goes towards the NHL's bottom line and the total revenue pie. Yeah. And not just 50% actually able to buy a beer and a burger, right? Well, that's the other part of it. It's, it's such a huge key. I'm so glad you pointed that out that, 
you know, with concession stands being closed in a number of markets, no food or drink in the stands, that is a significant hit to revenue. Now, all of a sudden, we're not just talking about cutting back ticket prices. It's the no food or drink, $14 beers, those add up really fast. Oh, it's a, it's massive. Now, uh, we are going to have Chris Peters on today talking uh, World Juniors. So uh, we'll get into that uh, a little bit later on. But I do, Frank, want, want to uh, to look at a few things. Then we'll bring in, uh, in Tyler. Uh, in a moment is you you've had some time now uh you know it's been almost what 10 days since we've seen nhl hockey and well not 10 i guess for some teams anyway you look at at certain teams and say okay even if this was like everybody was healthy like there are some teams that in october we thought were locks i think everybody the dfo rundown had the islanders not only to to make the playoffs but to win the division they're in the basement of the division, and I can't see any possibility that they're able to make the playoffs. Like they're 17 points back, Frank. They, like that has got to be the biggest surprise story of the first third of the NHL season. And to me, it's not even close. It's just how the Islanders have completely fallen off. I'm gonna disagree with you here. I know they can't score worth a lick. 57 goals this season, 10 fewer than anyone else in the conference, and that includes the Montreal Canadiens. They've given up 77, which is a playoff number in terms of goals against. No shock for a Barry Trotz team. Here's what I'm going to tell you. The Islanders aren't dead. It simply is just comes down to games in hand. They're actually 11 points back of the Detroit Red Wings for the second and final wildcard spot, or it'd be the Boston Bruins if you go by points percentage. So they're eight points back of the Bruins. They've played the same number of games as the Bruins, but they've got five in hand on the Red Wings. I mean, it seemed like this Islander team, you know, three, three and four in their last 10, you're not lighting the world on fire, but it seemed like they were generating at least a little bit of momentum from their play. I wonder what this pause does to teams that had momentum. Fair, right? I'm just, I'm not ready to say totally dead yet. That's all. They're going to need to be like the St. Louis Blues because that's still a ton of points uh, to make up in in a shorter period of time. It's just it's really yeah, it's really eight points is what they need to make up. Now, well, yeah, that's and that's eight points on the Bruins. Yeah, that's that's if you win your game in hand because game in hand are only is game games in hand is only they don't yeah they don't have any games in hand on the Bruins and they're eight back and the Bruins have the final wild card spot right and but they're eleven back of Detroit, eleven back but five games in hand. Yeah, so. I don't know. I still, I just don't see. So if they haven't been able to score, why are they suddenly going to score that much? Well, that's the, that's the only part I can't really see is like <laughs> 57 is abysmal. You're like just at two a game. Dude, it's brutal. Like, yeah. It's absolutely brutal. But so many guys on that team have underachieved. Like where, like, you know, he's been hit by COVID recently, but like, where, like, where's Matt Barzell? Like, like, where are all these guys? Yeah. Matt Barzell is really struggling on the power play too. Like I Anders Lee, like Anders Lee has struggled. Like all these guys have, have Anthony Beauvillier, Kyle Paul, like Kyle Palmieri is a, oof, that's a tough signing. And it's a guy that didn't really produce for you after you traded for him last year. And you, you go and you give him a, a sizable deal with some term. Yeah, it's uh, it's not worked out well. Uh, let's bring in uh, Tyler Uramchuk uh, joining us now. Uh, and thanks, Ty, for uh, filling in on the uh, best of edition on Friday. We appreciate it. 
Oh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, just me, myself, and I talking to myself a little bit and setting up some great interviews. You so it was good. It. Oh, yeah. I had a blast, Frank. Um, also, I don't know if you saw this, but there was the whole where in the world is Matt Barzell thing when Barry Trotz said that they didn't know where he was. Matt Barzell on his Instagram story posted a Photoshop of uh, it was his face on the Home Alone cover. And it was like, where's Matt Barzell? That Photoshop he actually got from our very own Kennedy Burgart's Twitter. She was the one who made the Photoshop and posted it. And then Barzell, I guess, ended up seeing it somewhere. Someone sent it to him and he posted it on his Instagram. You can see her handle in the bottom left-hand corner. So shout out to Kennedy for a nice little Photoshop. Maybe he'll show up uh, on the ice now. Yeah. Also, I have more things to say. I mean, you gave me the mic on the the best of episode, so now I'm not going to give it up. Uh, But the Islanders to make the playoffs over courtesy of our friends on PointsBet, only plus 375. So it's not see, the, the, see, the odds are telling you that they're likely to make it, no? I mean, plus 375. It, yeah, they're not totally writing think, them off. You would think that it would be like plus 1,000 right now, 10 to 1, 15 to 1, given how far back they are. They're plus 375 to make the playoffs. The Red Wings are actually plus 600. See? See, what Vegas. Is, what are the Flyers at? Plus 600. Oh, wow. Yeah. Vegas is seeing what I'm seeing. Yeah, they're just, you know what, though? That's good. That's setting a line to get New York Islander fans to want to play it. Smart. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, let's get into fill in the blank here on a Monday morning brought to you by our friends over at DoorDash. Promo code RundownDD gets you 25% off and no delivery fees. Uh, let's start with this one. In 2021, we had a handful of players have, you know, breakout seasons of different degrees. Adam Fox went from, you know, a good promising young defenseman to a freaking Norris winner. You had a guy like Joel Farabee who earned himself a nice contract. Yes, a Pugliarvi went from an afterthought to a guy who looks like a 2025 goal guy. So my question is one player primed for a breakout in 2022 is blank. Frank. I haven't heard enough people talk about him and I don't think they realize how good he's been the last full 82 game season. And that's Pavel Buchnevich from the St. Louis blues. 75 points in his last 82 games. Wow. That guy played at a 60 plus point pace for the Rangers last year, gets traded in the off season because they can't afford him. He's been a point per game player this year for the blues in a new home. I just really like Buchnevich, the player don't know that he gets enough attention or credit. And I think he's a guy that could sort of vault himself into that next, you know, that next level up the next paradigm up in the NHL. It's a good one. It's funny because I'm going to use a, a, a guy who's on the same team as uh, Ivan Barbashev. Ivan mm. Barbashev was a long time. I was considered a fourth line player. Ivan Barbashev has got 25 points at Christmas yeah. time this season. So uh, I, I think Ivan Barbashev, you look at 2022, people are all of a sudden going to be like, hey, where's this guy come from? He'll be one. And uh, if, I, if I'm going to go a little bit farther, I'm going to say Cole Perfetti with the Winnipeg Jets starting uh, in October, maybe even late this year in March is going to come up and add some offense to the jets. Yeah. You would have gotten a close, close look at his 3.9 of the world juniors uh, on opening night, boxing day, Jason, uh, we'll get to a world junior question in just a second here, but this is a fun one. I want to throw your way and I'm going to keep it totally open. This can be a game you are at in person. It can be one you watched on TV. I'm going to go ahead and say it doesn't have to be NHL hockey, but the best game you saw in 2021 is blank. I'm just going to open it up if one of you has one right off the top of your head. 2020. I didn't see that many games live in 2021. Yeah, that's why it's a dumb it, You could watch it on TV. Yeah. Game of the year if you had a vote. 
Um, as I'm asking it, I'm trying to wrap my head, rack my brain around like, okay, what happened in the playoffs? Who were, what were the big playoff games? Yeah, definitely wouldn't have been a, a live game. Like there's some individual performances I saw that were pretty good live with David mm-hmm. and Dreisaitl, but the game itself, no. Um, I'm going to go with, you know what? I actually thought the uh, the best game I watched hockey wise this year was the uh, was the women's hockey Canada versus US. Just oh, that was a good one. one. That was a yeah. really. So, uh, good one. I'm going with that one. It was high intensity. Uh, I really enjoyed it. So I, I will say that game. Yeah, speaking of intensity, I'm going to go with Game Seven. It's a little sinister between the Habs and Leafs. Ooh. You could cut that with a knife watching that yeah. game. I can remember just sitting on the edge of my seat, being like, "Oh man, if they blow this." And it wasn't even that exciting of a game, but it was just so intense uh, knowing what was on the line, knowing how much the Leafs were gripping their sticks. So I'm going to say that one. All right. I like it. I like it. And uh, before we get to some world junior talk, I think we'd be remiss to not uh, say something about the double IHF canceling yet another women's tournament while another men's tournament happens to go on. I know there's been a ton of attention brought to it online and rightfully so, uh, but I just would have felt weird talking world juniors if we didn't touch on that quickly, but we're going to get into that tournament with Chris Peters in a second. Wait, so you got to give us a fill in the blank on our, our reaction to the IHF. <laughs> hey, go right ahead. I wasn't yeah. sure if you guys would want to go for it, 100%, but Frank, go for it. That's disgraceful is how I would fill in the blank. All right. Uh, because when you look at it and this isn't, you know, I, I love the responses that we get on social media. Oh, you're so woke, but like, you know, whatever the snowflake I keep getting called. <laughs> I, like, I'm not light and dainty. Jesus. I'm definitely not a snowflake. Um, my issue is they don't provide any path forward for this tournament. There's no, Hey, we're going to postpone it for now. Let's see if we can work it into the schedule in April. Let's see if we can work it into the schedule in May moving the women's world championship to August was like one of the best moves the IHF has ever made. It had more eyeballs than it ever would when you jam it into the schedule on the hockey calendar in April, when the Stanley cup playoffs are about to start or the NHL regular season is wrapping up or people are getting set to head to the head to the men's world. Like who has like, there was just no available, you know, runway for it. Then it's a happy accident. Look at what you, you created by moving it to August. They should keep it there. And I think they are for the time being, but why is it that we can hold a major men's tournament and not find a path forward? Just, you know, cancel the women's under 18s. Like you got to find a way to put in the effort to reschedule it. And if it means moving it from Sweden to somewhere else, then that's just what you're going to have to do. I'm just disappointed that there's not the same creative push to get a tournament like that completed for the second year in a row while they they can find a way to move around the men's under 18s, play it in Texas and get it completed. I get the financial differences. I understand how revenue is created for the IHF. I know that the host team ends up paying for the tournament. The host federation pays for the tournament. Like there's got to be a reason and a push to, to have the IHF underwrite and, and get this women's under 18 played. I'm going to use the word eye opening because um, I might be in the minority. I, I think the U18 for both men and women is really, when you look at the cost for that tournament, it's unnecessary. 
let's call a spade a spade here. It's unnecessary. And um, if anything, this is going to garner attention. I don't think most people understood that it was a million dollars to put on the tournament for, and trust me, I've, I've, I've watched the, uh, the, the men, they don't, neither one of those tournaments draws fans. So to me, like people trying to compare it to the world juniors doesn't make sense. Compare it to the U18 in mm-hmm. men's and go watch it. There's hardly any fans at those games, whether it's in Canada or the U.S. People aren't watching. These are young, underage, 18-year-old player. The people that this tournament's for are really the scouts for the NHL on the men's side. And really, even on the women's side when it comes to colleges and everything else and for the national teams. But do we really need to be spending a million to a million and a half dollars for a federation that makes money off of anything else for 20 players? I'm sorry, I'll, I'll be in the minority here. I don't think it's necessary for either one, to be honest. Now, I, I don't like the optics of just a complete cancel cancellation. Yeah. If they would have said, we're going to postpone it and look for options, it would have made sense. Now, we've seen other sports already be postponed, professional ones, mixed curling in Canada. Their trials just got canceled. So yeah. people have to understand that part of this is, is due to science and what's going on in the world. Trying to compare it to the world juniors, the teams were already here when, when COVID hit. Right. If this would have mm-hmm. happened in, in early December, I think there might have been a, a discussion to possibly postpone uh, the World Juniors. But the World Juniors is very different than U18s. And I think we have to compare men's to women and some hockey people might not like it. But for me, that much money spent on so few players for every federation, I don't think it's that necessary. All right, let's jump into the World Juniors here and quickly wrap this up before we get to our friend Chris Peters. But uh, one player you're excited to watch at this year's tournament is blank. Frank? Connor Bedard, uh, you know, want to see what the 2023 draft is looking like. I know everyone's curious about 2022 and Shane Wright. And I just, you know, it's so rare for a 16 year old to make a debut like this in a tournament. You know, the number of players you can count on one hand, maybe you need an extra digit or so, but um, it's a pretty small and elite list and looking forward to seeing what he can do. That's a good pick. Uh, I was excited to see him and I saw him firsthand last night. Oh my goodness. If you are a Buffalo Sabres fan, you should be giddy. Owen Power is legit. Now, I knew he was a good skater. I've watched him on TV a few times, but to see him live and in person, so big. But the thing that impressed me most is just how he sees the ice and his hands for a defenseman. He's got really good hands. And I think the Buffalo Sabres, like when you have a big mobile defenseman like that, I can say this guy, without a doubt, I think down the road is going to be a legit number one, not top pair, but a legit number one defenseman that can completely uh, transform a franchise. I I think this is a huge get for the Buffalo Sabres, and and I'm looking forward to him. Scored the first ever hat trick ever for a Canadian defenseman, and the Canadian defenseman record in a tournament is four goals. He got three (laughs) in game one. Like He's probably going to crush that. Like This kid, Frank, I, I watched Bedard, and he was very good too as a youngster, but Owen Power, like, oh my goodness. He was dominant last night. Yeah, I guess my I don't I don't really have any real questions about Owen Power. I just wonder about it's a it's in some ways, while it is best on best in the world, it's a step down a little bit in terms of competition age wise for power going from Michigan playing against 22 and 23 year olds at times now down to under 20. So uh, obviously a a step up in, in elite level, but step down in age, you know, I'm curious to, you know, the big test is ultimately how does it translate to the NHL? I don't think there's any question watching that game last night that Owen power could and should have been in the NHL this season. Um, I like that he chose a bit of a different path. 
Yeah. Oh, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but I mean, uh, it's a disappointing here. season in Buffalo. You, you could kind of foresee it coming after an interesting start. Why subject yourself to that? Why not see if, you know, they can improve the team a bit by the time you get there. Now, do you not think that Owen power is going to play, uh, especially with the season delayed, he's going to get his nine games in this year. He'll use up the first year of his entry level ability. Ooh. I don't think there's any question about that. You think so? Oh, lots of guys come, come out, out of college. Come out of college and play. Yeah. Lots of guys come out of college afterwards, right? I, yep. I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it does happen. Um, yeah. And that's in a normal year, Frank, when the guys aren't playing till the end of April. What if, like, they're already playing an extra three weeks longer, so that gives them the extra games. I, I would be stunned if uh, if he only signs an ATO and goes plays in the American League. Like that would be better for Buffalo but I can't see it happening. I think he's going to come out of college when they're done and he's going to go directly to the national hockey league. I think my only low key thought in the back of my head was like, what if this is a play to ultimately use his leverage as a college player and say, I want to go somewhere else. Ooh, spicy take spicy take. I mean, that's, that's the only thing that I thought (laughs) in the back of my mind, you choose not to step into the NHL right away. Is he trying to leverage this out eventually to say, Hey, Buffalo isn't the place I want to play in, in my career. That might be a way for him to leverage one less year on the ELC, right? And say, hey, listen, I'll sign with you guys, but that ELC year one's getting burned this year. You're letting me play oh, my nine. They'll, they'll I, let I him do whatever yeah. he wants if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. They're not, they don't oh, care about that. I, th- I think he's signing, guys. I really do. I, I think this is a player. I'm not creating controversy either. I'm just, yeah. It was just a pure, nat- like I had no reporting here, just a, a, in the back of my head, just said, when I saw that, I was like, huh, I wonder if he wants to see that, you know, you got to remember at the time that he decided to go back to Michigan, the Jack Eichel thing was hanging in the air. No one knew what was happening there. How do they handle the Eichel thing? You know, it seems like there's been way less turmoil this year. The guys really like playing for Don Granato, who, by the way, was uh, tested positive for COVID-19, uh, sending our best wishes to him. If you think back to his career, uh, 2019, he uh, had a near death experience with pneumonia. So certainly worry about Don Granato, asymptomatic to this point. Um, but, um, you know, when you think of Owen Power, like, like I think there was a lot of controversy surrounding the Sabres. He extricated himself from that and said, Hey, I'm going to go play at Michigan for the year. That was the first thing that popped into my head. Yeah. He just reminds me of Eric Johnson, who was the number one pick in 2006. And he went to colleges yeah. for a year. I honestly think more players should look at Owen power and that extra year of development, maintaining your confidence. He gets stronger at college. It's an ideal path. I honestly yeah. believe it. There's way too many teams because some teams still can't help themselves. Look at the 18 year olds. Who's making an impact at 18 in the NHL? Like they're so. Well, look at Rasmus Dahlin. I, I was at yeah. his World Juniors and and saw him play, and he wasn't quite as dominant as Power was in Game One, but he still stood out in a big way. And then you see him make the jump to the NHL, and he he you know has played a lot of minutes, but has had not nearly the impact that everyone thought he would. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to do, man. NHL's and, tough. NHL's really tough. Yeah. Another guy who looked Especially really good. Anybody who's a teenager. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Simon Edvinson in Detroit, the Detroit Ooh. prospect looked good for team Sweden. A really interesting question. We don't really have time because Chris Peters is coming up, but uh, who will have the better blue line in 10 years, Detroit or Buffalo power and Darlene cider and Edvinson. It'd be a, It'd be a really interesting one. But anyways, that's going to do it for another edition of Fill in the Blank brought to you by DoorDash. Man, Buffalo and Detroit uh, listeners right now should be excited because uh, they've had a little bit of a dry spell. Obviously, Buffalo a little bit longer than Detroit. Bit. Detroit had a yeah. lot of runs and a lot of cups to to live off for a while. But yeah, uh, there there's some really exciting players uh, at the World Junior. I don't, I don't get too uh, overly excited about certain players. 
But Owen Power, like I've watched a lot of Canadian defensemen who went on to have really good careers. I can't recall the last one who dominated like him. So uh, our next guest might, right? Uh, you, you know, you think of a lot of American defensemen, Eden, like it is really hard to dominate uh, this tournament. I know it's only one game, but how he played, and it's not just the goals, it's just his play over the ice. And I look forward to it as we get to our big guest today, brought to you by fansfirst.ca. It is for you, the fan. The number one reason, no fees outstanding you can get tickets to all the games you want just check it out go to fan fansfirst.ca no fees for the fans all right let's bring in that chris peters our daily face-off prospect analyst he you can also read his work at hockey sense with chris peters does a fantastic job there blanketing coverage of team usa especially this time of year with the world juniors chris uh day one in the books at the tournament jason was on site in edmonton um you got a chance to not just dive in deep with team usa but we were just talking before you hopped in about owen power and the night that he had the hat trick a historic start for a defenseman at the tournament you know how good is he where is he heading jason said uh, you know just one viewing live in person i can already see this guy is trending towards not just a top pair guy but a number one guy in the nhl believe it yeah i mean he he's trending towards star for me i mean really the the way that he moves the fact that he can get up the ice so quickly the fact that he pops into plays as well as he does i mean to be the first defenseman to have a hat trick for Canada at the, at the world juniors is, is, is pretty special, but it's also just kind of crazy that it happened. It took this long to happen, but you know, I, I think for him, the, the things that we've seen is, is that he's a dictator. He, you know, not, not in the worst sense, in the right sense where he, he dictates play, he, he controls shifts, he makes plays um, at all in all zones. And, you know, he's just so big. He's tough to get around. He gets up the ice quickly and, and he gets around players really easily. It's with the reach. It's with the skill. It's with the skating. So, um, you know, the fact that he's he's such a smart player on top of having all those physical tools that he has makes him a real difference maker and, and a guy that I think could have a very special tournament, but also a very special NHL career. He's actually meaner than I thought, too. I saw him finish a few checks uh, and literally checks, um, in that tournament to start. And he just had an edge to him that I, I guess I wasn't ready for or expecting. Yeah. You know, it's, it's certainly, uh, he picks his spots with it, I think, you know, and that's that coming up through the, through the ranks, I think in particular in college, they've kind of asked him, Hey, you know, dial it back a little. We can't afford to lose you for your, for contact to the head. You're so big, you know, it's, it's all those different things that you got to keep an eye on. So, um, but yeah, but I mean, he, he has that aggressiveness. I think that as he's gotten stronger physically, he's also become more confident in his physical game. Um, and, and he's just, he's such a quiet presence and he's so calm, cool and collected. You don't expect that aggression out of him, uh, but it's there. And, and he plays, he, he just, knows when to use it. So I think, again, it just comes to the fact that he's such a smart player that you might not see it all the time. He's not going to take a run at a guy. He's just going to make a good, clean play, and he's going to make sure that he finishes his checks and and does does exactly what he needs to do to get the puck away from the other team. It's all about getting that puck and getting it up ice. Chris, I was uh, driving home after calling the Canada game, so I didn't get to see uh, the U.S. game. Give me your thoughts on uh, on their opening night performance against Slovakia. Yeah, you know, it was kind of uneven. They had a rough start and and a, and a very dominant middle, and then kind of a tough end as well, where they where they didn't really uh, play that well in the in the third period. I didn't think so. Um, you know, I think that that's kind of the typical first game. I think you always have to 
take the first game with a grain of salt. All the players are still trying to get used to each other. They've only had one pre-tournament game. Um, and I think that contributed to the slow start, but I think there were a couple of real bright spots. And, and one of them was Drew Camesso, the goaltender who, who really kept them in when they were dealing with, uh, you know, basically they just didn't have it at the beginning. They didn't have their legs. They were, they were a little hesitant. They took two penalties right off the bat as well. Um, and, and so when Camesso came in and, or when Camesso started and just kind of gave them that real steady presence in the net, I think it gave them a lot of confidence to move forward in the game. And um, their power play scored two in the first period. Then they got a, you know, there was only one five on five goal in the entire game by either team. Uh, but in that third period, Martin Kromiak, King's prospect really, did a nice job of getting a couple of goals, one on the power play, one with the extra attacker. And, uh, and that really put the made, made USA sweat. So I think that, you know, if they could find a way to bottle whatever, whatever they had in the second period, when they outshot Slovakia 23 to two, if they can find that game, that's the one they want to have to, to play against Russia and Sweden in the preliminary round, because uh, I think the effort today or last night rather uh, would not have been one that would, would give them a lot of success against two teams like Sweden and, and Russia that have so much skill in their, in their group. Well, those tournament games between the U S Sweden and Russia, I think are what a lot of people are looking forward to. It, it should be quite exciting. Now I want to get your thoughts. Should Nashville predator fans be remotely concerned three years in a row at the World Juniors, their top goaltending prospect, Askarov, like he got pulled after 40 minutes in game one against Sweden uh, yesterday. What do you make of that? Or is it just a mental block for him at this tournament? Because his numbers leading up and after the World Juniors are a lot better. And then when he gets into the World Junior tournament, he struggles, at least statistically. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, really, every other time you see him in a Russian jersey for any other tournament, it seems like he's lights out. And you know, he's got that, that to me is what, you know, you got to hold on to a little bit is you take the full body of work for him and it's still very good, but yeah, the world juniors, which is obviously the most visible to everybody that knows anything, you know, that, that follows prospects. Um, it, it hasn't been great. I think in this, this game against Sweden, I, I thought it was a mistake to pull him. Honestly. Uh, I thought that, that he had not played poorly enough to where uh, his team, you know, was, you know, was going to have a chance to lose. I think it was, it was really, you know, uh, uh, an aggressive play. And I think a desperation play from Sergei Zubov uh, right off the bat there. And it, it sends a bad message to your goalie that you've lost confidence in them. Um, and, you know, I, two of the goals against were screens on power play. I think one, he definitely could have fought the screen a little bit better. And that, that would have, that would have helped him. Um, on the shorthanded goal against his stick, you know, his stick was there, but he didn't have a good enough grip on it. And it went through the stick and in, which was very strange to see because you don't see many goals like that against a top level goaltender. Um, so that one wasn't, wasn't the best, but I still think that, you know, give him some time. It was the first game. Um, you know, we've seen, Goalies turn it around. I mean, Spencer Knight had a terrible start last year and then became the best goalie in the tournament, had three shutouts. Askarov doesn't have the benefit of, of, of he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt because in his two previous world juniors, he, he just wasn't very good. So um, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I think, you know, you start getting a little bit concerned if he, if he continues to struggle. And, you know, it's it's not just one tournament at that point. It's three. And then, you, and then yeah, I would say that that is a little bit concerning. I know you said, Chris, to take the first game with a grain of salt, some tense moments, uh, Canada trailing the checks. U.S. had some tense moments against Slovakia. Does, you know, I think kind of what struck me when, and I guess my question is big picture, is there going to be a dominant team? Like, can, will you see a, a Canadian team run the table or a team USA, or is this more of a close 
tournament in terms of team competition than maybe we're used to. I think it is close. I do think that Canada on paper continues to be the best team, and I don't think they're going to have much more trouble. I think Finland will give them a decent game. Um, but beyond that, you know, I fully expect Canada to roll through the the rest of the, uh, the the preliminary round. And so that that kind of inflates their it, it'll inflate them a little bit going into that medal round. But I mean, they have so much skill. And, and I thought that the first period was more of a fluke than anything else. And and, and partially just the, the jitters of a first game and being playing a little tight. But um, but I, I really think that there is a lot more closeness here. I think Sweden is better than I thought. Their, their top line and their top D pairing were fantastic. And Jesper Wallstedt can absolutely win them a gold medal if if he's on the top of his game. Um, Finland doesn't have great center depth, but they have good wings. They have really good defense and, and they move pucks well. I think they also have the goaltending. So that's going to make them a little bit more challenging. The U.S. isn't as skilled as last year's team, but they have great speed, tremendous mobility. So, yeah. So, I mean, like every team has some element that would allow them to have success in this tournament. So I don't think anybody's going to run away with it, but at the same time, as I, as I watch all of the teams, the one that obviously popped the most was Canada and the depth that they have, the fact that Connor Bedard was able to, to play his way into a bigger role and be a factor in that game. The fact that Owen power is looking like an all world defenseman. Um, you know, I think we'll, we'll see Dylan Garand didn't have the best start, but it wasn't, you know, he got the win and, and settled in after, after that tough first period. So, you know, there's a lot of question marks left for every single team here, but I do think that there's, there's closeness uh, in terms of each team has some element that could give them a chance to win the gold medal in this tournament. And I even think you look at Slovakia and the Czech Republic, they're far better, um, you know, than, than the teams are towards the end of the, the tournament usually are. And even I thought Germany played well. So like, You'll have to, there's no easy games here. You know, maybe we'll see what Austria and Switzerland and then Germany throughout the tournament can do, but there really aren't games where you can take it, take the night off for sure. Mm-hmm. You mentioned another, sweet- I just had another big picture question. Sure. You know, just as you're writing and watching prospects specifically in this year where there is, you know, sort of the split between the 2022 and 2023 guys, how do you manage that? How do you, you know, get to all the viewings you need to see? How do you watch all the guys you need to see for 2022 while also keeping an eye on the 23 guys? Yeah, it's, it's, it's always a balance. And, and I think that you have to really focus on the 2022 guys. Cause that's the here and now. Um, but you, you make notes about that, those 2023 guys all the time. I mean, obviously Mitchkov, Bedard, Delibor Dvorsky for, uh, for, for Slovakia as well as another 2023 guy. Um, but, but still you focus on those 2022 guys cause they're the closest to where we need to see. And, and, and you know, you kind of say, okay, you try to create a baseline for those 2023 players that you can look at later on. Uh, but I would say, you know, really it's, it's been super easy to focus on the 2022 guys because most of them are playing pretty significant roles. You look at Shane Wright and Logan Cooley. Um, unfortunately the checks lost David Juracek to injury who that could be a huge, huge loss for them. Uh, Simon Nimitz was uh, the, the top defenseman for Slovakia. So they're all playing big roles and that gives you a, a real good idea of kind of where they're at. It's a nice, a nice chance to see, okay, well, I I've seen what they've done with their club teams. What, what happens when they take it up a level? Cause the world junior, I think is as close as you can get to the NHL without being in the NHL at this age, obviously. And I think that's really interesting uh, to, to see kind of how they all manage that. 
And so far, a lot of them are passing the test in that first game. And then, yeah, you just you, you have to focus on them, but you cannot take your eyes off those 2023 guys because they're going to tell you something that you need to know for next season as well. It's interesting. I know it's only one day, but you had Owen Power with the hat trick. You also had Simon Edvinson scoring a ridiculous goal for Sweden, Chris. And, you know, Detroit's already got uh, uh, more at Cider on the back end. And then they've got uh, Edvinson coming. Give me your thoughts on Edmondson and what you've liked best about his progression the last few years. I mean, I think his progression from last spring to now has been remarkable. Um, he's he's way ahead of where I thought he would be by this time. And I was I was at the World Under 18s last year, and we were all talking about the possibility of you know of Edmondson going in the top ten. And then we watched the tournament. He didn't look like a top ten pick. There wasn't you know he 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 wasn't necessarily playing at that high level. You watch him yesterday, and you say. Oh my God, this guy could be one of the, one of the best defensemen in this tournament. He could be an elite, you know, top pairing defenseman. And you also look at his numbers in Sweden and those are telling you that he is really progressing at a real rapid pace. So the things that really stood out to me in the game against, um, against Russia was his ability to absorb pressure, to escape pressure in the defensive zone and to always make the right read. He always made a good pass. You know, he ended up with three points. He had the shorthanded goal. And that was just a play where he's able to poke a puck past a player and then beat him with speed. So, I mean, he's fast, he's big, he can be a little bit more physical. I think that is something that he needs to continue to work on, but he moves pucks so well. And he, he led all the Swedes in ice time by a significant margin and did not play on the power play. So, I mean, like they're they using him more as a penalty killer and, and they're five on five, number one. And they're letting Emil Andrea and uh, Helgi Granz take the power play time. And I think that's really just to make sure that they have Simon Edmondson where they need him. And so, I mean, if you're, if you're a Detroit Red Wings fan right now and you're watching cider and you're watching Edmondson, you're like, we are set for, for a long time in our D in our D pairings with these two guys. And I, I really do think that Edmondson has taken his game to a completely different level. He's much better offensively than I thought. And, and I'm, I'm really excited to see his progression because he is a special talent. Yeah. He's really impressed me uh, in their first game. And I'm with you. Uh, Sweden looked better than some of the, the pre-tournament projections. I know it's only one game, but I liked it. Now uh, the announcement came down that uh, they're, they're not going to play any relegation games. Once the tournament's over, there's not going to play any extra games. So Belarus next year, they're going to have 11 teams. Why wouldn't they have just gone with 12? And then you could literally have like a relegation tournament right there. Those teams play each other and, uh, and the top two stick and the bottom two go back down. Like 11 just seems odd to me. Do you think there's a chance they might make it 12 by next year? Yeah, it, it's odd to me too. And so basically the double IHF competition committee is going to get together and they're going to figure out how to make this work. And I wonder if they do see with 11 teams, we got to bring in Lafayette. I think part of the hesitance to do that is that there is a, there will have to be a complete restructuring of the tournaments below the world junior level. There's, you know, many divisions beneath the U 20 uh, top division. And so, you know, you start, it, it kind of creates this domino effect of, of teams where you're like, we're, we're short in this tournament and we don't have enough in this tournament. What I think could potentially happen with, with the 11 teams is that the way that they structure the groups will be a little bit different, a little bit awkward perhaps. And, and, but, but, you know, I, I think the, the women's world championship essentially stacks their groups with the best teams in one group and the weaker teams yeah. in another group. And I think that that, 
could be an option going forward. It would make things a little different. And I don't necessarily know if it would make it the most fun, but it, it certainly would create more competitive games in the preliminary round, but we'll have to kind of wait and see. I thought it was very odd that they chose to go 11 teams. Um, you know, I wondered if there could be a play in option, but I think you, you really have to reward Belarus for earning promotion in the tournament where they, they, they were expecting to be promoted. Yeah. And so I, I don't think that it's the wrong decision to bring them into the tournament. It wouldn't be fair to those players that earn the right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it creates a huge headache and now they, even with just, not, not relegating someone back. They still have to restructure all those lower divisions. So um, there's a lot of work cut out for them. It could take all year to figure it out uh, the way things are going right now. And, and I mean, at this point, I think we just hope we have a world juniors in 2023. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it just, why not just relegate at that point, make it easy, mm. do what you've always done, play the extra three game series. Maybe you only need two games and just move on. I mean, that'd be yeah. the easiest way to do it. I also get the idea of patting on the back, the teams that have sort of been through this challenge in the bubble the last couple of years to say, Hey, you know, you've done what isn't easy to do. Bring your team here, knowing you're likely going to get shellacked. You go into the bubble, you quarantine all those different things you know, there should be maybe a little reward for that. So I get why they did it. Uh, wanted to ask you, who are you, you know, most interested in seeing uh, in terms of, you know, additional viewings, who do you want to get more eyes on that has really caught your attention to this point? Yeah. You know, I, unfortunately, one of the guys that really wanted to get more viewings on was David Yurichek, uh with, with the Czech Republic. Um, and it looked like he got injured and, and may not be able to play. And if that's the case, that's a real shame for the Czechs, but, you know, just seeing him at this level is, is, is a treat. He plays, you know, domestically in the Czech league. He's been one of the best defensemen for his age there ever essentially. So um, wanted to see more of him. I've seen him before. It's not like I, you know, will miss viewings of him. And, but I just thought it would be great to see him play more. Um, you know, I, I think, I also want to see more of Shane Wright. You know, I want to see him dictate a little bit more. I want to see him take control. Um, you know, I think that first game was a good, good getting of getting his feet wet. He was involved. He, you know, he made some plays, um, but, you know, let's see, let's see what else he can bring to the table here. Cause I mean, you, you see those young guys with, the older players. And it really makes you like, wow, he's got to go here. You know, he's here. He's got to go. He's got to, he's somewhere in the middle. Now he's got to get to that next level um, uh, just to see. But I mean, it's, it, that's why I love this tournament is there's a lot of, of mixing and matching. Um, the other guy that I thought was really good uh, didn't get a, didn't get a lot of production, but, uh, but Uri Slavkovsky for Slovakia played really well against the U S he actually uh, Nate Lehman, the head coach of, of team USA said he was a horse, you know, like they really had a hard time against me. He's six foot four, 220 pound winger, you know, with skills. So, um, you know, I've seen him a lot as well, but it's just getting more chances to see that. And then, um, I would say, you know, in terms of the drafted players, the guy, the guy that I really want to see pop in this tournament is William Eklund, uh, the San Jose Sharks turn, uh, prospect who's going to be Sweden's number one center. Sweden has no center depth, um, you know, compared to previous seasons. And so he's a guy that I think is a better wing, but he's playing in the middle and he looked good. He looked good there. So, you know, he, and he was active and engaged. So. I want to see where, how he looks as a center. And if that's a, a future position for him, I know that the sharks have definitely thought there's a possibility he could play down the middle for them. So that's, a, you know, that's a, a long list of, of many players that, uh, that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the guys that I'm really interested in seeing here. Last one for me, Chris, um, before we play a little rapid fire, tell us 
what you're going to be producing content wise, not just on hockey sense, but also on daily face off throughout the tournament. Yeah, well, just uh, I'll be having daily recaps. And since the games are so late, they'll likely come out in the in the morning uh, the following day. But it's just really short recaps of the games. But then I'm going to talk about the players that I really liked that day. Um, some some player analysis and also news and notes from around the tournament. So you're going to see that after each day. Um, and, and it's just a way to kind of get you caught up on, on the world juniors, but then also to, to give you a status report of some of the top prospects playing both draft eligible and drafted. So um, I think, you know, it, it'll be a different amount of prospects every day, but uh, I'll tell you, it's going to be more than a couple. So, you know, there's, we're going to try and have a lot of uh, copious notes there to give you an idea of how players are playing and, and what they did well in these games to, to kind of let you know what's going on there. And, and also plenty of news every single day from the world juniors that we want to make sure that you're caught up on, on daily face off. Awesome stuff, Chris. Uh, we're playing rapid fire. You know, the rules got to answer the questions. We'll, we'll have a little bit of fun. So um, looking at these two stars from Russia and Canada, who do you ultimately think is the top pick in 2023? Well, I, I think it'll be Connor Bedard. And, and I'm not sure that, you know, it's, it's on merit, but it, it, because Mitch I'll tell you what, they're both incredible players, but Mitch brain is at a different level than I've ever seen it for anybody of his age. The way he anticipates the, the way that he finds ways to score his understanding of offense and just the, the, his understanding of the opposition doesn't matter if he never played against them. He just knows how to play the game. Connor Bedard physical tools wise. I think he's a little bit of a better skater. I think he's got a better shot actually. Um, but you know, I, I think that the, the, the difference is, is that, you know, Mitch Cobb's under contract until 2026. Mm-hmm. That's, a real tough ask if you're picking number one. I think Connor Bedard is at a level where you say, okay, it's not so much different that I have to pick Mitchkov. Um, but let's say Mitchkov scores 40 goals in his in his draft eligible season in the KHL, and you're like, ah, maybe it is worth the wait. So I, I think that uh, they're they're both exceptional players. Um, Bedard probably gets picked, but Mitchkov very. Uh, he very well could be the best of the two. Okay. The Michigan forwards. They got a lot of them uh, all drafted at the top. Who do you think has the best immediate impact in the NHL when they get there of the forwards? Of the forwards, I think it's Matty Beniers. I mean, he just impacts the game in so many different ways. I love the way that Kent Johnson plays, his skill and everything. He's he's a completely entertaining player. But you watch Matty Beniers, and it's not, you know, he has the skill. He has speed. He's tough. He's a great two-way center. Um, you know, he he plays in all situations and and is a guy that I think just knows knows what he needs to do to, to win. I think he's the kind of player that, that helps you win hockey games and in more ways than one. So, um, you know, I think Kent Johnson is going to be a, a big time producer over the course of his career. Um, you know, Mackie Samuskevich has, has got a lot of jump. Thomas Bortolo, who's not here is an incredible playmaker and a brilliant face-off man. But I think if you're looking for a guy that impacts the game in more ways, uh, Matty Beniers is the guy for me. Which 2022 draft eligible player are you most disappointed isn't at the tournament? Ooh, um, boy, I would have to say, man, that's a tough one. Cause I think, I think we, the, oddly enough, I mean, most of them, most of them are here. Uh, so that's pretty, pretty solid. I would say um, for, oh man. Yeah. You got me on this one. 
You know, I think I was I was wondering if the U.S. was going to have Rutger McGordy, who's a big forward. He's a good two way guy, um, you know, really solid shot and and has produced very well for the under 18 team this year. Didn't get invited. To, yeah. 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 Great name. Uh, you know, he's 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 got a lot of a lot of good elements in his game. I think that he has something that could have helped USA in this tournament. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a shock or, or wrong that he isn't here. Um, but that's a guy that, that I think people need to need to know about more because he is a, he's a big guy. He's got some power elements and uh, we'll have to wait and see. Matthew Savoy was uh, lighting it up in Winnipeg. Didn't get, didn't even get invited to the camp. For Canada. Now you've got Ray Ferraro for for a long time. And, um, you know, you look at the, does Matt Savoy take this as the ultimate bleep you and turn it up even more here in the second half? Or do you think it was warranted? I I hope he takes it that way. I mean, I I think in some ways, I, I think it was warranted just because you look at Canada's skill players and who they have. And, and I don't know who he unseats, you know, I don't know. He's not taking Kent Johnson's place. He's not taking, um, you know, any, I, I think Bedard or, or Wright's place, you know? So he's, he's a guy that, that has tremendous skill. He's a really good skater. I like the way that he plays and, and obviously he's having a tremendous season and he's probably the guy that I, that I should have said, because I would want to say, would want to see him at this level just to see how he handles it. But I also think that, that I didn't find that as, as shocking that he wasn't on the team. Um, I think it would have been nice to see him in camp just to see how he stacks up against those guys. Um, But I didn't think it was that big of a, a slight. So he's a guy that you absolutely have to watch the rest of the year. I think he's going to have tremendous numbers at the WHL level as he has already. Um, And having watched him in the USHL last year, which is a league where it can be a lot tougher to score. I think he really found his way over the course of that season and watching him. It's it's always interesting to watch a player progress. And he progressed in such a way that, you know, I was like, Hey, this is this, he's back on track. He's going to be able to, you know, he, he made the right decision to go to a place where he could play a full season. Um, and now he's got a, that opportunity to, to be a dominant player in the WHL. I think he'll be a very high pick in the 2022 draft. Now, this one might be very difficult because I'm not because it's tough to remember where you ranked every player. But do you recall where you had Ronan Seeley ranked at the 2020 NHL draft? He ends up going in the seventh round, 208 to Carolina. And now he's in the top pair for Canada a year and a half later at the World Juniors. What's happened to Ronan Seeley, who's the first ever player from Oles, Alberta, to play for Canada at the World Juniors? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's easy to remember because I didn't rank him at all. Um, so yeah, so so that's easy to remember. But you know, I think what I saw from Ronan Seeley in that game is uh, in tremendous mobility, a really solid uh, skating, and, and just uh, very poised with the puck. And the fact that he's out there, you know, Owen Power can do it at everything. So it takes a little bit of the pressure off it feels like but it actually sometimes can make it a little harder for the for the deep pairing especially with the way that Owen Power was activating and getting deep into the offensive zone and you know scoring goals from the goal line and everything else you know yeah. you got to be on your toes so you know I I was surprised to see that Seeley I knew that you know he's a good player he's having a great season and 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 you know but to see him on the top pairing of Canada certainly surprised me with with all the guys that they have I mean the fact that Ryan O'Rourke was one of the players that was was sitting out and I think he's such a, a tremendous and heady two-way player 
you know, I think it says a lot about Ronan Seeley's development and what he's been able to do with his game. And um, certainly doesn't look like a seventh round prospect. And, and if you're playing on the top pairing for Canada, uh, it says that a lot of us missed and I, I am among them to then not, not ashamed to say it because uh, definitely did not have him on my list. Well, you know what, Chris? Hey, it's it's tough to to evaluate seventeen year olds and you know eighteen year olds. So yeah, I, exactly. I'm just I'm curious though. What's what's advanced so much? Because you weren't the only one. I talked to a few other guys. And they're like, dude, I didn't have him rated, and man, I, I missed on that one. What what's changed so much in the last year and a half for him? I, I think I think it's just kind of really generating more offensive presence to generating more, being more confident with the puck on his stick and, and, and knowing how to use his skating. Um, you know, I don't think that his skating ever really popped to me the way that it has in this tournament so far. And that, that he's such a smooth, smooth operator with the puck on his stick. I think the skill is there and the, uh, you know, that, that, that is helpful, but, you know, the, the confidence factor is, is so big for these guys. And I think that's one of the things that can really grow the most. And if it does, if, if a player is not going to grow physically much more, you know, got to get that confidence up, got to make sure that they have uh, good decision-making and, and good hockey sense. And I think that he's, he's done that now defensively. I still think there's room to, for improvement. I think there were a couple instances in that game where he got caught a little bit. Um, and certainly that's been true at the WHL level as well. But overall, when you've got a guy that moves like he does and, and can make plays like he does, uh, that, that gives you a lot of confidence in a guy that from where he's at now versus where he was before. Well, Chris, uh, we always appreciate it, man. I look forward to your daily updates at uh, dailyfaceoff.com uh, and we'll enjoy it and all the best in the new year. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, I love that you threw out the the Olds Alberta reference there. I was just thinking back to some guys I've covered in my career. The legend Jay Rosehill that I intersected with once upon a time in Philly, uh, an Olds Alberta native. Yeah, well, you know what? That's pretty cool, man. You're the first kid to represent your, your town at the World Juniors. That's a pretty big deal. And, you know, there's not many seventh rounders you see at the at the World Juniors uh, for Canada or the U.S. It just doesn't happen because they have such deep programs. So uh, Ronan Seeley's definitely, I think, he's another great example for any kids who watch this tournament. To, don't get upset. Don't think that, the oh, you know, somebody overlooked you. And, uh, you know, Seeley admitted it was really hard for him at that draft and, you know, just kind of took him a while to get over it, but he's used that a good motivation. And, and obviously he's played great uh, so far for Canada up in the uh, top line. So I look forward to this tournament, Frank. It's fun being there live watching the games. I know uh, we were talking with Chris um, off air about the uh, camera angle. And, and so uh, my apologies to all the, uh, the American viewers. That's a tough one. And those, those prelim games are, are that camera angle is a little dicey at times. So uh, hopefully uh, it improves for the final few games. Uh, it's still world juniors around the holidays beats uh, just about anything else, especially with another night of no NHL hockey. Yeah. Well, hopefully the NHL, we get some games, Frank, uh, we'll watch your Twitter to see if there's any more uh, cancellations and postponements of games uh, until then have yourself an awesome week. And uh, I think actually we're going to have another best of on Friday. So Frank, a uh, happy new year, all the best to you and your family and, and to Tyler and to all of our uh, listeners. We appreciate you listening to the pod and uh, we'll talk to you in 2022. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Mom. 
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.